This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome back to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'll be your host today. And I'm joined by the ever-present Dr. Richard Blackbee. The indubitable. And Dr. Dubin. Richard Blackaby. Yeah, that's a that's a, a pet a pet word of yours, Richard. I think that's come good up, to be with you. Come Sam. up before, yeah. Well, we're just we're tucking in here in between uh, big trips and and uh, various events that you've got going on. You've got a busy spring, boy. I know, and uh, always Maybe always on the run. Or one of the busiest. Yeah, you've you've been mentioning that, and so we're trying to. Uh, load up as many of these as we can. We've got some great. Uh, we've had some great conversations already. Yeah. Uh, on the podcast, uh, most recently Kevin Beers, um, and then uh, followed by Rob, uh, your cousin Rob. Yeah, and, cousin uh, Rob. And and these have just been really fascinating conversations. I've enjoyed uh, listening to those, and we've got some more uh, in the pipeline here, and, and just excited to get some of those out. But uh, we don't want to neglect. Our, the Bible. The Bible, obviously. <laughs> and we don't want to neglect our, our little mini-series we've been doing of yeah. undetermined lengths, uh, <laughs> disciple-making, and we're just we're, we're diving into to Luke chapter 9, and we're seeing the pattern that Jesus uses when he's training, equipping, um, preparing his disciples, and how we can uh, apply that to our lives today. Yeah, and we we were looking at the fact that if you want to know how Jesus is going to walk with you, just look how he walked with his 12 disciples, and it's the same Jesus. He's has the same priorities, uh, trying to bring out the same things in your life that he was trying to bring out in Peter's life. And so it's always interesting to see uh, how he does that. And he doesn't just sit his... Uh, his disciples down in a classroom and say, and lecture them and say, now take good notes. We'll have a midterm and just fill their heads with information. He, uh, he lets them live. And in the course of life, the lessons that are learned, uh, become unforgettable. And so it, we've seen that with, with uh, Jesus, discipleship means following Jesus, get out of your boat and go with him wherever he leads you. And so, so he's been taking them a number of places and when you get to Luke 9, beginning of verse 28, you get to a very famous uh, encounter. It says about eight days after this conversation. Uh, and, you know, I think that does remind us that the Bible typically has a context to it. And you miss a lot if you don't know what the context is. And mm-hmm. so uh, Luke made it very clear that this whole uh, discussion about Jesus dying and being resurrected and telling his disciples, if you want to, you know, you can't follow me unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And, and so he's had this very, very powerful discussion about what is expected of disciples. And then it says about eight days after that. So that, in other words, that conversation, those things Jesus said were very powerful. And I suspect it, the disciples have been kind of mulling this over ever since. And it says that he took along Peter, John, and James. And we've said this before, but we don't know why he took those three disciples. And, you know, sometimes I hear stuff that's kind of said that is, um, it's just total speculation, but it's said almost as if it's, it's fact. Like, uh, you know, oftentimes it says, well, you know, Jesus' best friend was John. Well, there's, the Bible doesn't say that, mm-hmm. you know, John himself out of humility 
doesn't call himself, doesn't name himself when he's writing the Gospel of John. He often just says, the one Jesus loved. Well, that, that he's not trying to say I was his best friend. He's, he's, or his favorite. Or... Right. He's trying to say, I, I'm going to modestly try not to mention my own name in, in my writing. And so to say, yeah, Jesus had a best friend. Well, you can't really take that from there. Now, you know, there's a couple of times where he takes these three disciples, what we call inner circle. Mm-hmm. And in in one sense, it is a bit of an inner circle in that, you know, there's a couple of times where he does take these three. But we don't know really what that means. Uh, could it mean that Jesus just didn't want the whole crowd that day? Maybe it was going to be too distracting to have 12 men all falling asleep around him while he's being transfigured or uh, you know, is he trying to set some of these guys up to be a bit more uh, in the know than other disciples? Um, you know, we don't we don't know all of that. Like uh, when he raises uh, Jairus' uh, daughter that has died, he only takes the same three guys in with him. But we're, we can probably assume that this girl's little bedroom is probably not very big. So could also just mean he needed some crowd control downstairs and uh, and he you know, couldn't fit 12 men plus parents and himself in a room around one little bed. So, mm-hmm. we, you know, you have to always be careful. We, it does, so it doesn't really tell us why he just took these three. Uh, Andrew, that always gets left out of the brothers, is certainly a noble character that God's going to use. Um, and so we don't really know why, but but it, this is one of those cases uh, where and what, what we find out later in this chapter is that the other nine are sent off to do mission work. So he's got some of them still out there ministering while he has this kind of divine rendezvous with his father. So, so he takes, and he he takes these three and he goes up on the mountain to pray. And of course, a lot of stuff happens when Jesus prays. (laughs) And, uh, sometimes you might say, well, what would it take for God to do more in my life? Well, maybe you need to take more time praying the way Jesus did. And so it says, as he's praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And of course, this is one of those very, very uh, unusual moments where two men long dead are, have come back and are talking to Jesus and lots of questions about this. Uh, you know, most people assume that, um, that Moses represents the law, which Jesus is going to fulfill. And, and Elijah represents the prophets that kind of, those two men really symbolize that Elijah considered perhaps the greatest of the prophets and and Moses, of course, the great lawgiver. And so the prophets all pointed to Jesus, as did the law. And so they are there now maybe talking about, all right, the fulfillment of everything that the law was pointing to, the prophets were pointing to, is going to be fulfilled at the cross, which is looming before Jesus at this point. What's also interesting about these three guys uh, is that all three of them have mountain top experiences. Uh, Moses, Elijah, both go on to uh, Mount Sinai. And Moses, of course, gets the law. Uh, Elijah goes up there to have a meeting with God. He hears that still small voice when he's discouraged. Uh, Moses will uh, climb a mountain right at the uh, very end of his life and look out over the 
promised land but not go in. Elijah has a, a mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Um, and so now here they are in a mountain again. Uh, these three guys also have wilderness experiences. Uh, Moses heard sheep for his father-in-law. He guides the children of Israel for 40 years. Elijah uh, flees into the wilderness after he preaches uh, to Ahab that uh, there's going to be going to be no water. Uh, Jesus, of course, is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And, uh, and all three have uh, government leaders who want to kill him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so they have a lot in common. Uh, but and of course I don't want to take t- too much time to get into this. But you know one of the questions, of course, that we all want want to know is um, what happens to you when you die? Like where have Moses and Elijah been? Uh, mm-hmm. Where do they come back from? Uh, they uh, we uh, we know as Christians our ultimate hope is in a resurrection of uh, uh, from the dead. That uh, is why we celebrate Easter. But uh, until that resurrection, what, where do those people go? What are they doing when they're dead? Mm-hmm. And where does Moses and Elijah get summoned from? They must have been somewhere. Um, and I've got theories about that we can maybe get into at some point. Maybe that'll be another Bible study. But uh, very, very unusual encounter. And so here Jesus is meeting with his father. Uh, and of course, as we've said before, this is the father's plan. This isn't Jesus's plan. Jesus doesn't plan to go to the cross. His father, it's his father's plan of salvation. And ever since Adam and Eve's fall, uh, the father has had a plan on how to redeem his fallen creatures. And Jesus is submitting to that plan. And so here now Jesus is meeting with his father who who has been guiding him and fulfilling his redemptive purposes. Here's Moses who knows what the law demands and, uh, and, and seeing how it's going to be ultimately fulfilled. Elijah knows what the prophets have foretold and, and knows how Jesus will fulfill every one of those prophecies. And so it's a huge, huge moment. You, you kind of wonder why it needs to happen. Uh, you, you you have to perhaps assume that if Jesus is being encouraged at this point, that he needs to be encouraged, uh, which I think is probably um, interesting for us as leaders. If Jesus, need, you know, the father meets with his son personally, but then also brings two people back from the dead to try to encourage his son, that might tell you something of the magnitude of what Jesus is facing mm-hmm. and the fact that if he doesn't face his uh, big moments uh, on his own. I mean, when he is on the cross, even then he's going to have his mother and some women there at the foot of the cross. Uh, he, he doesn't do things alone and solitary martyr. Uh, and so even here, he's receiving encouragement ahead of time. And of course, he's got uh, three of his disciples with him as well, though we'll see in a moment that they're sleeping. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, it says that his clothes... Uh, and his face became dazzling white. And so something, uh, something happened to Jesus. We call this the transfiguration. And, and I think what, what's happening here is that Jesus has always been fully God and fully human, but, but his, his, his divinity has been kind of covered over with human skin. And it's almost as if his his the glory of his of his Godhead, of his divinity, um, 
bursts forth uh, in this brief sacred moment. It's as if his divinity can't be just completely uh, veiled at this point, mm-hmm. and you see uh, that he's got. Now, tell you what a what an amazing moment that would have been. Yeah, to be with Jesus when when if you had any doubts, is this person also God? Is he the Messiah? those doubts would have been dispelled if you'd seen his glory um, bursting forth. And, and of course, that's in, in one sense, that's kind of what it means when we give glory to God. It, it is we recognize his divinity, that he is God. And sometimes even in our worship services and our daily living, we can kind of cover that up. Uh, and and giving God glory means you sort of take the veil away from people and you give God all the glory. You recognize just how much of God of God he is. And so so they it says that uh, his glory is shining forth. And then verse 32 says, Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. Uh, and so... Uh, some of the some of the gospels don't necessarily say that uh that so so clearly but uh but they're they're sleeping and of course you just have to think to yourself how many prayer times have we missed what we could have encountered with Jesus because we were not alert we we might we might not have fallen asleep but we're spiritually dull and uh sluggish and you just sort of wonder sometimes if of course, then Jesus will go in the garden a few uh, days or weeks later, and and um, and be praying uh, so that there's the sweats, uh, sweating drops of blood coming from him. You talk about fervent praying, and again, his disciples are all sleeping, and uh, so there's just something to be said for what what is missed because we're not alert as we pray. Yeah, um, sleep, the great enemy of prayer. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, and that maybe that's why in that, in their day, you didn't close your eyes. I think that's a, that is such a killer, isn't it? You're, yeah. you're you know, we, as busy as we are and sleep deprived often, uh, to, to slow down and close your eyes. That's not a good recipe well, for alertness. You know, I've been in many early morning prayer meetings and, uh, yeah, that can be, that can be a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea, but. Uh, and so it says, uh, when they, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. And of course it doesn't tell us, um, how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Maybe yeah. this is something that they talked with Jesus about later or they figured out. Uh, I don't know if you, maybe you'd recognize them by just seeing them, but they didn't have, you know, pictures of them that they could have. Uh, you know, looked at his children to recognize, oh, that's Elijah. But, um, but they, they figured that out. And it says, uh, as the two men were departing. And so again, we don't really know how they departed. Did they just disappear? Uh, did they vanish into a cloud or, or what? But they're, it's clear that they're, they're beginning to leave. And so Peter said to Jesus, master, it's good for us to be here. Uh, let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. And again, as we've seen throughout this chapter, we'll see some more coming up. Uh, over and over again, the disciples are going to come up with a plan. They're going to think, okay, we're leaders. Uh, God has given us a brain. We need to use it. And so here we've got 
can you imagine? We've always heard about Moses and Elijah. Here they actually are. So let's, uh, let's build little tabernacles, little tents here on this mountaintop and uh, make it kind of a, a retreat center, a place where people can come and maybe be taught uh, by these by these great uh, people from the past. Just imagine the following we, we would have to say, come and hear Moses and Elijah speak live. And um, and and just think what what credibility that would give you, Jesus, to uh, to know that those are your kind of you know lead acts there before you get up. Right? Before Jesus speaks, we have Moses just talk a little bit, reminiscing about his days on Mount Sinai. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, it, he Peter. This is classic Peter. He's talking without thinking, and he's and and you know a lot of times we do this uh, theologically. We haven't really thought through our theology very well. We're, we we're just talking. We've got, we've got opinions, but but we're not really stopping to think. What what is the implication here? What we're saying, and you know, one thing that there, Peter is saying is, <clears throat> I, he he's treating Jesus just like. Moses and Elijah uh, on, on equal footing. You'll you'll each have your own tabernacle, um, and the the fa- and of course the father sort of just removes Moses and Elijah. It's like as great as these two men are, they're they're nothing compared to the Son of God, and um, and of course w- that's sort of a, a tendency of ours and God's people today is let's just build a nice little structure and we'll have a great little worship time here together. We'll We'll just find a mountaintop somewhere and we'll have just a great, great time of music and sharing and preaching. And, uh, and of course, Jesus is being prepared to go to a cross. He's prepared to, to suffer, to lay his life down. And Peter is, doesn't have that on his radar. It's, uh, no, this would be great. We just stay up here on the mountain. And, uh, and of course, mountaintop experiences certainly have their place in the Christian life. Uh, but they're they're always a place of preparation, never a place of retirement. You don't just sort of move up on the mountaintop. You go there to be restored, uh, to have a fresh encounter with God, uh, maybe to escape your enemies temporarily. But but then at a certain point, you what, once you've had that encounter with God, you you go back down the mountain and you get back to work. If you've ever wondered how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda, then consider attending Blackaby Ministries Spiritual Leadership Coaching Workshop April 17th to the 19th at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. Not only is there great teaching at this workshop, but you will also get to practice what you learn. Use code EARLYBIRD at checkout for a special discount. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org slash workshop. Links will be in the show notes. And so Peter uh, comes up with a plan, and what we're going to see is that uh, Jesus very quickly corrects him once again. And we've seen this uh, pattern throughout the, this chapter where the disciples come up with a plan, Jesus rebukes them, then Jesus gives them a better plan. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's what's going to happen here again. He, he says, Master, it's good for us to be here. And, you know, he, he's calling Jesus his Master, his Lord, but then Peter's taking, trying to take charge. It's like, well, if he is your master, maybe you should stop talking and listen to what your master is planning on doing. You just woke up. You, you, you slept through the first part. You don't even know what's going on here, but you still have a plan of action. Uh, this is a time for you to kind of get caught up. Uh, but it says, while he was saying this, 
a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. <laughs> and that ought to have been a certain had a certain amount of foreboding here. Yeah. As Peter's coming up with a plan here in the mountaintop, this cloud begins to descend upon them. And I, you sort of get the impression this is not just some fluffy little cloud. It just happens. Uh, it, yeah, a little mist that, you know, it, 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 there's a certain foreboding. And it, it, it seems that this cloud is uh, gathering quite quickly because uh, Peter doesn't have to say a lot of words before he's uh, surrounded by this cloud. It says, and they became afraid as they entered the cloud. And so I, I would love to have seen exactly what this cloud looked like because it was, uh, it, I mean, there were some frightening clouds. If you think it's got lightning or, or tornado somewhere within it, but, uh, but it, it became clear that um, G, uh, Peter's plans were being interrupted here in a hurry. Uh, and then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And you, you could almost sense the impatience of uh, God the Father uh, just trying to make Peter stop talking, um, stop planning. And he said this, uh, and, and he, here's one of those places where it would have been really interesting to hear the tone of voice. It's like, this is my son, the chosen one. You listen to him. Uh, like, like Peter, why are you talking? You're like, you're in the presence of Moses, Elijah, the son of God and God, the father, and you're coming up with the plan. You're, you're trying to set the agenda for all those people. Uh, and, and you were asleep during the first part of the meeting. Uh, yeah. how ludicrous for you to be coming up with a plan. Uh, and, uh, but that unfortunately is pretty typical of a lot of Christian gatherings where we're not even aware of most of what's happening, but we still want to come up with a plan. We want to be in charge. We... Well, and it's that type of uh, type of leader, type of personality as well. The the folks who are who are just doers, you know, like yeah. let's just let's get something done here. And uh, the danger is that you're getting the wrong thing done. Right, it, it, and of course, like as we've seen with a lot of leaders. Uh, oftentimes, the, the very thing that is our strength is also our weakness, mm -hmm. and so it, yeah, it's great to be someone who can get a lot done. But sometimes we can jump to action before we really even know what should be done. It, there, there is a certain mentality that says, "I'd rather just get anything done than than sit around and do nothing." Right. You know? But that's not always uh, wise. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you get the wrong thing done, that can set you back uh, and not not move you forward. And it says in verse thirty six. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And I think uh, sometimes what happens, certainly what should happen in a prayer time, is that all the other voices, distractions, um, are removed from your sight, and all you've got left is Jesus. And I think sometimes that's what prayer, even what worship, uh, is intended to do. It is to focus us on Jesus and to hear his voice and uh, to follow his lead. And, uh, and so now all of a sudden, geez, you, you, with Peter, I, I, I wish I knew what all is going on in Peter's mind. It's almost like, is he kicking himself saying, there I go again. I, I was talking and, yeah. and that, that plan didn't go anywhere. And, uh, yeah, it's the re reality of the situation dawning on his face. Yeah. You know? And you know, it's like we saw before, uh, with the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples come up with a plan. And it is to send everybody away. And instead, 
uh, Jesus does one of the greatest miracles of his entire ministry. And here Peter is saying, let's go around and collect a bunch of sticks and uh, leaves and branches and make a little lean-to, uh, and then we can have this little makeshift kind of retreat center here on the mountaintop and maybe offer some summer conferences and, uh, you know, weekend getaways for people. And uh, and meanwhile, Jesus is talking about how to die for the sins of all humanity. So that well, Yeah, and you also wonder, too, because it seems like that's probably his, like, religious upbringing, too. He's like, that's what, that's what Moses would do. That's what Abraham did. They would, at significant points, they would build altars and yeah so you wonder how much of that sort of religious memory is also sort of activated in in peter to say oh like he gets that this is important Mm -hmm. and the only thing he knows to do is say well at important things you know our forefathers would just build altars yeah I, i think that's a good point that uh you know in each case jesus is looking to do something never that's never really been done before and we we tend to just default to what we know, mm-hmm. and so if if you don't you know, but he's trying to do something you don't know, something you've never even thought of happening, uh, and so th- that's always going to be a danger when God wants to do something new. We immediately start scrambling around in our kind of our memory banks to say, well, w- what do I know that's similar to this? W- mm-hmm. What do I know that I'm comfortable with? And sometimes God would say, well, don't go there because you're, you're immediately going to downsize what I want to do yeah. into something that you're familiar with. And a, a lot of us are, you know, you can be intimidated by a brand new thing that God does. And so, I, I mean, I've never done that before, never gone there, never had to think about that before. I feel inadequate. I, I, I feel like maybe I couldn't do that. So, so I'm going to change up what God is trying to do and downsize it to something that I can manage. And, um, you know, we do that a lot in churches. It's like, well, we sense that God wants us to make disciples of all nations, but clearly we can't afford that. So let's, uh, m- maybe we could, you know, add $100 a month in our budget to support this uh, food kitchen down, you know, in downtown or something. And it's like, well, there's nothing wrong with supporting that ministry, but I had much bigger plans for you. Yeah. But uh, but you you downsized it to something that you thought you could afford that you you knew how to manage that and uh, uh, and I've I, you know we've said before I, I'm kind of at the place where I want I want my life to be a part of something that I can't explain that I've I've never done before that I have no point of reference to even understand what I should be doing I'm just kind of just following God one day at a time and letting Him unfold it before my very eyes and. So th- this is one of those kind of classic examples of, of uh, God trying to do a fresh new work and the, and the disciples trying to get their hands on the wheel and trying to say, I th- okay, I, yeah, then we can do this, we can do that. And, and I, I've, I've been a part of meetings like that where you started out sensing that God was trying to intervene and, and introduce something uh, unlike anything that we'd done before, but very quickly people start pulling from all their past experiences mm-hmm. or, well, I was in a church once that did something kind of similar. Maybe we could do that. And I read about where people did this. And and before very long, we've got our fingerprints all over this God thing. And now it just looks like what lots of other people have done. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and God was trying to initiate a, a brand new work that no one had ever seen before. And so 
this is kind of a classic one of just saying, uh, and by the way, when it says, you know, you've got Jesus in your midst, like, why are you talking? Why are you not listening? And I can't tell you how many planning meetings I've been a part of with Christians where we did way more talking than listening, where we... We we certainly opened in prayer, and we probably closed the meeting in prayer, but everything in between was us talking, not God talking. And uh, we, we say we want to seek God on this matter, and then we do almost all the talking ourselves. And you would have to say, if we really want to know what God thinks, we need to be spending a lot more time listening than, than discussing and talking and and. Uh, but we're we're much like Peter. Our minds are racing. We all come to a meeting filled with ideas of what we think we'd like to see. And uh, so, yeah, we've, we've said the prayer. Now let's, let's like all the Peters, start talking yeah. and come up with a plan. And we might be really excited about it. And I think there, there's probably some times where God's wanted to do the same thing and send this ominous cloud into the conference room. <laughs> and so yeah. we suddenly realize, uh-oh, I, don't, I think God wants to take the floor again. He wants the mic back so he can do the talking yeah. instead of letting us going on and on with all of our plans. Well, I'm, I'm sure glad to have Peter. And uh, he has <laughs> really uh, given us so many um, examples uh, throughout the Gospels of, uh, you know, uh, how we can often uh, uh, just sort of misunderstand and, and kind of get out ahead of our skis. And uh, so we'll, we'll leave it here for now. There's we'll, more to come. There is more to come. We'll, we'll pick it up in, in a future podcast. But uh, as always, Richard, thanks for, for walking us through this uh, great chapter of Luke. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.